A charismatic leader can get anyone to do anything, but there's three core elements to charisma, power, presence, and warmth. Most people have two of those. A lot of people that you're referring to don't have the warmth part. Right. If you don't have the warmth part, okay, then you're powerful and you have presence, but you're still not. Ready. Welcome to the Eat, Play, Crush podcast. I am your host, Mary Shinuda. Over my career as a performance chef and specialist to some of the most elite athletes and entertainers, I have found that the gap between what they do and what you can accomplish is much more relatable than we make it seem. Performance and wellness should be inclusive. And I believe that if you have a body, you're performing at some level, whether you're a world-class athlete or simply someone like you and me. And it goes far beyond just nutrition. So my aim with this podcast is to share real life stories and expert advice to inspire and make a difference so that you may eat well, play hard and crush life. Jay. Yes. <laughs> Are you here now? I am. Where do we go from here? So nice to join, to join, have you join us. I'm super excited to turn the tables and interview you. Thank you. I don't know if I should say that. thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, wait, wait till the end. <laughs> Have you ever seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Yeah. Do you know the part where he doesn't know the answer to anything? No, you don't. But that's always my fear. Before I, I do a podcast, yeah. or I'm the host, or I'm a guest, or I'm going to an event, or I'm going to go on stage for a few minutes right before, I feel like, like there's a part, he, he loses his mind, yeah. and they go, what color is this guy? And he goes, I don't know. He goes, what's two plus two? He goes, I don't know. What, what's my name? He goes, I don't know. So right before the, I go on something, yeah. I always feel like I'm not going to know anything. Well, there you go. That's yeah, no, I feel the I same. Oh, you do? Yeah. All right, good. Yeah, I, right, I, at the same time, I'm so confident, but I'm also like, oh, I'm about to really mess this up. Right. And more so being in a hosting seat for the first time ever mm. of being on this side. Right. And what motivated me to be on this side is I would go on podcasts as a guest and be like, these are, I hate these questions. Oh. And so I, I've always said, if you think you can do something better, yeah. then for the love of God, do it. Otherwise, shut up. Yeah. So that, and I also, you know, have a message to share and I have amazing friends and clients, right. but I'm probably for the first 50 episodes going to be nervous mm. every single time. I mean, I started with Lupita and Tim Ferriss as my first two guests. I'm like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> don't even want to like yeah. get warm, but I am excited to interview for you for several reasons. One, because the way I met you, I didn't realize you were such a badass and such a big deal and then there's other elements to you that i don't see you share online and i feel like you are one of the greatest of all time mm, thank you and you don't put yourself out there on that way because you're too busy doing the work mm. and so i want more people to be introduced to you as a trainer as a coach and just as a good light in this world thank you to overshadow a lot of the noise so that's Hope we get that out of this particular episode. So how would you introduce yourself today? Because when I look you up, you're like, been doing this since I was nine years old. (laughs) 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 Basically, (laughs) maybe even before that, but you're the OG. Yeah. And you are one of the thought leaders when it comes to performance boat sports and mindset when it comes to like professional sports mlb you've written multiple books you first one of the first pioneers on online programming one of the first pioneers when it comes to like that grimy gym vibe like like 
you are the foundation that everyone has built whatever they've built on. Right. So, but is that how you would introduce yourself today? Yeah. 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 yeah? Sure. What yeah. did I leave out? What did you Hip-hop leave out? Hip hop enthusiast. Sure. 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 I actually, I, I somewhat half jokingly say that I invented group training, but honestly, I believe I invented group training the way we know it, like CrossFit and the way we know that today. Yeah. There was no such thing as that in the 90s. It was um, one-on-one personal training or you just went to a public gym, right? You went to Gold's or Bally's or whatever, and you could do classes like Jane Fonda and yeah. stuff. Is Bally's still in business? No, okay. I don't think so. I haven't heard that in a while. Yeah. My first athlete client, his name was Mike Schwab, and to this day, we are friends. So that was like 30 years ago. And Mike introduced me to Chris, who, believe it or not, I just had coffee with Chris for the first time in 15 years the other day, which was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Chris comes in, and they're both superstar athletes, and they're like, hey, can we start training together? And then they had another friend named Joey who was a great running back, and they're like, can we? Can all three of us train? And then I was like, it wasn't some stroke of business genius. I was like, well, let me just come up with like a student athlete rate. I'll just cut it in half with the adults pay, Yeah. and they'll train in groups. Yeah. And then before I knew it, I would have the, the kids would get dropped off uh, from the high school bus at 245, and it built up to the point where we had like uh, 70 kids coming in after school, just group after group after group after group. And, and then I taught that model to so many people, to Joe DeFranco, to Eric Cressy, to so many people, so many well-known people in the industry. I was like, dude, why are you still doing one-on-one? Here, do this, charge this. And uh, so I feel like I invented group training too. <laughs> how did, this was in Jersey? This was in Jersey, yeah. How, so how did, okay, you, you came across these kids, but how did they find you? Is it because of what you were doing online back in the day when no, like, two websites online. existed? <laughs> no, no, yeah, we, we weren't online at all. I was getting such great results with these kids. Like they're, they, it was amazing. They gained like 30 pounds of muscle. They were breaking records. And everyone's like, who are you training with? What's going on? Yeah. And it was all word of mouth. I never did an ad, never yeah. anything. It was word of mouth to the point where this uh, multi-million dollar facility a few years into it called Test opened up down the street. And they had pro, ex-pro athletes working there and tons of funding. And it was like, we, we had a thousand square feet and we were literally in a basement. So it was literally underground. And uh, they had 10,000 square feet and they couldn't get any business. They're like, they go, how is this kid in the basement training everybody? Every high school all around was coming to us. And then the only, I guess if you could call it marketing we did was we would go out in the back on Fridays and we had Strongman Fridays and all the guys would compete. So people would see us training, uh, driving by. But there was no, like when you came in, it was a tryout to train. Like I yeah. was like, please yeah. take, like I wasn't begging. Yeah. Like my friend Andrew to this day is like, I remember the first time I came in, because I would jump in with workouts sometimes with the guys and compete against them. <laughs> and until I was in my mid thirties, I could beat college and pro athletes in a 10 yard sprint. Okay. They didn't know that if it was a 20 or 30 or 40, <laughs> they would beat me because yeah. the first 10 is all strength. Yeah. But anyway, uh, where was I going? Oh, so Andrew walks in and I'm, I'm training with people and like he's standing around waiting for 20 minutes. So there's no like great right. customer service. Right. And I go, yo, what do you want? And he goes, oh, I'm friends with uh, Mike and Chris. I thought uh, I go, yeah, sign this thing and jump in. It's your first try uh, tryout. It's sink or swim. Yeah. You make it or you're not training yeah. here. <laughs> I mean, and that's that how I run did. my agency, right? Yeah, my yeah. performance agency is it's like, I'll see if we accept you. Yeah. And it's not it's not an ego thing. It's like, I just want people who are committed that right. I know I want to be successful with. So there's two things I want to ask about that, though. One is, so you have your training uh, programming which is consistent. It's, we know what works, we know what doesn't work. Mm. You know details way more than the yeah. average trainer I come across. But even if you have a great program, coaches don't get buy-in. You get buy-in. Yeah. Someone spends five minutes with you and they're bought into whatever it right, is. Right, right. So w- what is it that you think back then made you resonate with 
high school kids, kids, adults who are like, I'm, I'm going to be bought into this program and I'm going to commit to it. Yeah. It was, first of all, it was the, the, the Jersey bluntness and attitude. Like even when I was more insecure in my gym, you know, I've talked a lot about being, you know, insecure and whatnot, but in that gym, I was like, I was the man. I knew it was the man in that thousand square feet. I'm controlling the music. And, and you know, imagine back then, like nobody's listening to hip hop. So it was, it was super counterculture. I didn't give a fuck. We threw people out. You know, you had to sink or swim me to try out. And so people were like, oh, this guy's serious. And also, I, I, I've always joked around. You know, like I can go from being brutally serious and in your face, Tony Soprano, to singing Call Me Maybe. You know, like I'm kind of <laughs> dynamic in that way, right? Like people don't expect that. And again, just the brutal honesty. And like you said the other day, I think we were having lunch. And, and funny enough, like the, the next day after you said it, somebody in professional sports said the same thing that like, I can resonate and connect with uh, high school kids right now mm -hmm. of any uh, race and uh, guys are my age and older of any, like you put me anywhere and I'll connect with people. Mm -hmm. So I just have that ability. A lot of it is, I worked on it. Uh, some of it's just innate, you know? So yeah, but I think it's just the brutal honesty. Like people know what they're getting. But you, you say it's brutal and to me it's kindness. Right, you're not a, you're not an asshole. Oh, I can be though. <laughs> I haven't but, I haven't but, experienced in, it, in, but in it's a, a kindness way, in being though. that way. Like you're just really, really to the point. This is yeah. what we're here to do. So like I can do things, and and you always say, well, nobody treats you like that. Nobody does that yeah. to you. Yeah, yeah, they don't. But I can do things to people too that nobody would do and get away with. Like Joey Styles was one of our main guys back in the day. Uh, played for the Oakland A's. I trained him all all through college and everything. And then Joey worked for me for a while. And so I would expect Joey to set the example. One time we're training and Joey checks his phone and there were no phones in the gym. And I took Joey's phone, I opened the door and I fucking launched it out. And I go, Joe, you should fucking know better than that. Now, most people, they launch someone's <laughs> phone out. Like that's going to be a problem. Right. He was totally fine. He's like, nope, you're right. You know, like, so I, I don't know. Some, I've earned that respect. You right. Know? Yeah. And so you said, even when you were doing your self-esteem stuff, so you were that way in the gym. Because time wise, time wise, is this before or after you were doing the work on becoming someone who wasn't so self conscious, or no, was that an alter ego in the gym? It, it was. It was a little bit of an alter ego, but it's like I've always had that kind of East Coast aggression. Like I grew up like that, right? Yeah. Like my spirit animal is uh, Tony Soprano, you know. So like, <laughs> I was like, "Where are you going with spirit animal? Please don't <laughs> don't say lion or tiger. Interview's over." But okay, I'll take the Tony Soprano. <laughs> yeah. And then I also grew up, you know, as a white kid listening to hip hop from 1984 every hour of the day for the rest of my life. Right. And that kind of reprogrammed me like DMC, DMC saying I'm the king of rock and LL yeah. saying I'm bad and there's nobody better. Like I would listen at every single day all day to reprogram myself and like that braggadocio. So I'd walk in with that swagger and, you know, it wasn't really fake it till you make it. Like I believed in it. But then it, th there was just the insecurity of, of you see me out to dinner now with 10 people and I'm running the show and entertaining right. everybody. 10 people uh, back in those days, I, I would shut down. I'd be really nervous and insecure. And that was outside the gym. Yeah, yeah. In the gym, fine. Outside, I had a, a threshold for like five, six people and then I'm a nervous wreck. So let's go back to that because I know my audience doesn't know about your history with the diagnosis of tuberculosis, mm. how you built something crumbled it, built it again. Yeah. So as much as you can share about that, and I'll, I'll tease out questions from that. But again, someone sees you now, they're like, this guy's badass. And then they hear your story and they're like, oh, this guy worked to be badass like, yeah. and be who he is today. Yeah. I was sophomore year of college at uh, Arizona State and I was on, so for, first I went to uh, Towson State in Maryland. And I left because it was a very weird, like it was me and all the black kids and white Chris. 
and we never hung out with white people. I was like, this is so weird. It's like the 60s. So then I went to Arizona State, but then I was on the African studies floor. So I didn't hang out with any white people again. <laughs> but then somehow I got tuberculosis. I was home for Christmas break and I was training. And every day, like I would do five reps and I couldn't breathe and it was getting worse and worse and worse. And one day I was like, I'm going to die. So I called the doctor and I was like, I got to come in. They're like, oh, you're booked. And back in those days, they would just give you a Z pack, right? Yeah. Oh, you're fine. Just take a Z pack. And I was like, I got. So I took a Z pack. And three days later, I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I, I've only got a few hours to live. <laughs> I got to come in. And so I get in. They're like, yeah, you're right. And I go, what? <laughs> <laughs> the guy's like, your lungs are almost filled with fluid. You got to get in an ambulance now. I was like, oh, could I go home and grab some stuff? He's like, no, no, no. You don't understand. You have like an hour. So we go to the hospital immediately, drive over there. It felt like they were drilling a railroad spike into my back. I had to be upright and on some crazy like pain medicine. And they drain what looked like a bottle of scotch out of my lungs. And then I had to stay in the hospital for like two weeks. I had to take 50 pills for a year. Made my pee turn fire engine red. Made all my hair fall out. But in retrospect, what's crazy is I think it that's how I started my career really. Because I was interning in the weight room before that. But I stayed home. I studied every single thing I could. Like I had to be on bed rest. Like I wasn't in bed for six months, but I wasn't, wasn't supposed to leave the house for six months. I wouldn't want to know you like that. Yeah, I absolutely. feel like that would be like... Yeah. You can't sit still. No, I know. What? I know, I know. <laughs> I know it was weird. It was really what weird. What was your demeanor like? Were you were like you were you accepting well, I, it? I, were I, you no, because I had really low energy. Like, okay. I lost fifty pounds. I was Holy so crap. weak. Yeah. Okay. So you yeah, were so you were like you were taking there. it I was taking as it was. All okay. day, yeah. So I'm just reading and I'm getting VHS, like every VHS tape and certifications. That's how and we everything. used to watch movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then then I got a bunch of cert- certifications and I was able to start training people that summer. And How I old know, are you? When I you was start training? 20. So I started interning in the weight room when I was like 19 and 20. And then uh, I was training people when I was 20. And by the end of that summer, somehow I was on pace to make six figures that year. And I was like, this is insane. When you're that age, you're yeah. like, holy shit, I'm yeah. rich. <laughs> Especially back back then too. Mm-hmm. Like nowadays kids can make that, you know, on, on TikTok or something, right? right? But doing that back then in 94, 5, 6, whatever was crazy. And so, so I transferred back home and I was going to school full time and working full time. And then I just, every dime I made just went back into buying equipment for the gym. And, and that was it. Like that was 12 hours a day. It was my life at the gym all the time. And that was the, the underground gym. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so then that's what brought you here? No, no. So, so then I continued to just run, run the gym for the next, I mean, I ran the gym till 2000, till, till we moved here. So and wait, did you have any business acumen that you would be like, I knew how to run a business? Was that books you were reading or are you just figuring it out as you go? I was go? just figuring it out as I go. Yeah. So then, then I, like I said, I, I came up with student athlete rate and that just blew up. Right. And then all of a sudden every magazine was like, oh, what are you guys doing? So I started writing for every magazine. I started writing columns online. I got my own column in men's fitness. And then I was the the chief training advisor for the whole magazine and for another magazine. And then, um, yeah, so, so that was basically it. And then I started selling stuff in 2003. So nobody was selling their own stuff. Right. I started selling my own published stuff. And that kind of just blew up and took off. And then, uh, yeah, moving here wasn't wasn't until a lot later. And then how did you manage that success at that age? Do you feel like you had that maturity? Oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I so spent every doing? dime. I spent every dime. But on the business or on dumb um, shit? Well, most of it on the business. And then once I rushed, reached a threshold where I was like, oh, I'm making decent money now, what would happen is all I remember my one friend 
was making 34 grand and all my other friends thought that was insane that he was making 34 and I was like making buck 20 or something. I was like, what is going on? This is crazy. So anytime we'd go out, we'd go out in the city. I've told you about like when I'd run into Biggie and Jay and stuff in the 90s, but I would pay for it all the time because you guys are all not making money. I and you go. want them there. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So I paid for everything. If we're going to Vegas, all right, I, I got the hard rock suite, whatever, like MC Hammer style spending, like crazy. Um, and we could get into the psychology of why and my dad and this and that and the other thing, but whatever. It's just I blew a bunch of money like right. an idiot, you know? But you got experiences. I had amazing experiences, yeah. so much fun. But that eventually led to me going completely broke at 31. I was out. Um, at 31? I didn't realize it was that age. Yeah. That's hard. And I, I was making six figures for, for since I was like 21. So I had to call my mom because I was out partying like five, six nights a week in the city. I was still crushing it. Like I was 230, I was jacked, I was strong, I was doing really well. But in my, my, my 21st birthday, I was asleep at like nine o'clock. So by the time I got to like 28, 29, that was my college years. Yeah, late bloomer. Yeah, and I was partying <laughs> my face off. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I've got no money left. So I got to call my mom, moved in with her. And that was kind of another another good thing that happened. Like I just grinded to rebuild the business. Did you immediately be like, I got to call mom? Or did you fight that? Was there any ego in there at all? I kept fighting it, but I was like, I got no money. Right. <laughs> you know? And I had moved into the city, so I was commuting back and forth to Jersey. And living in the city is not cheap at all, you know? So yeah. I had to just, yeah. But so when you're, before you go broke and you're out there living it up, are you still an introvert during that time? I mean, every night I'd have 10 drinks though, you know? So Oh, so I you had it, some lubricant I had in there. Courage, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm curious of when the transformation or the awareness happened from being an introvert to being someone who knows how to make connections. Yeah, now. that wasn't until I got here. I mean, if you saw videos of me back then, you'd be like, oh, that's the Jay I know, but I was on 12 vodkas, yeah. you know, like, you know, so it was different. It's not what yeah. I could do now. And then when you rebuilt at 31 at your mom's, did you do anything different in the rebuild or you just went back to the basics that you understood? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I, I was launching new stuff online and we actually uh, shipped some physical stuff. Like it was mainly digital, but then I put together like a self-published book and we're sh I was shipping a bunch of those, and um, but nothing crazy. And then did you consult with anyone when you put these books together or you're like, again, I'm just going to figure out as I go? No, I mean, I, I've always had people you know, that were willing to help. Like Craig Ballantyne at the time was, was really knowledgeable and he was helping me and a few other people. You've known Craig for a while then. I've known Craig since, well, I think since 2006. Okay. Or five, somewhere in there, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then what make you, makes you decide to come out to California? So I, I got a uh, book deal with Penguin. It was called Fit to Fight and it was uh, just strength and conditioning for combat sports because I always trained like a, uh, I grew up doing martial arts and I trained a ton of, um, you know, wrestlers and all kinds of things. And so you say it so casually, but again, <laughs> like you've worked with some of the greatest. So, so <laughs> the book was, was, was going to be due in September of 2007. And then I was going to move to California that October. Uh, but then I met Jen and I stayed for another few years, but it was just like, I was just burnt out. Right. And so during that time we opened the second version of the gym, which was great. Had a million opportunities. A lot of, a lot of cool things happened and I learned more, but then I was just like, I got to get out of Jersey. And at that point, like when I was first leaving, I didn't even really know why I was just like, I got to get out of Jersey. But at that point I kind of had an awakening. Like I'm not, I know there's so many self-limiting beliefs here. I know that environment triggers behaviors. I know I want to grow and evolve. I'm not strong enough to do it here. I know that certain people and ways of thinking and things I'm seeing and doing are all holding me back. And I kind of had this vision for who I wanted to be and how I wanted to be. And uh, I mean, even as a kid, like 
watching uh, 90210 or any show that had groups of people, I was uh, I was always like, man, I wish I could be the guy that groups of people came over my house to hang out and stuff, which, as you know, has been the case 100%. here. 100%. But that never happened. And that was like one of the things, like I wanted, I wanted to be that kind of person. So that was why I wanted to come here. We used to come out here in the late 90s. I was training a friend who was on a really popular sitcom, and she was from Jersey. So I come out, and we go to all these parties on Sunset, and she was like, why don't you move here and train everybody on the show? I was like, I guess I could, but that'd be so weird. I'm the hardcore underground guy training athletes. Self-committing. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm glad I didn't, though, because I don't know that I would have ever had the success and the experience and everything would have been so different. You know, it's it's so hard to say. But you could definitely do that now. Oh, you could I, literally train anyone now. I could do that, yeah. But what I'm saying is I just don't know, like, doing what I did, if I left at the time, would I have gotten all those book deals and magazines and all that right. stuff and... It's it's it would be it's weird to go from the underground warehouse to just training celebrities. So like it's so different. You so know? you met Jen while you were still and would call it an introvert. Yeah, yeah, and I was still living in my mom's. <laughs> God bless <laughs> Such that a woman. Great pitch. Yeah. <laughs> and so I would I would I would love if Jen was here because I would want to know about the the slow transformation from being an introvert to being the guy that out here like is. Tell me about the first time you decided to invite people over to the house. <laughs> was it weird? Was it awkward? Did you know what to do? No. It, the weird thing is when I got here, it was like a few weeks into being here and then I just became someone else. I just decided. And I was like, oh, this feels so different. I'm away. Then now I could just recreate myself. And I almost just like made a decision. That's who I was. And it came so easy. Like the first time I went to improv class, everyone's like, oh, that had to be the hardest, most awkward thing. I was like, is the most natural thing I've ever done. Which, if you knew me for the 36 years before, you'd be like, no way. I just walked in. I was like, oh, I'm home. And when I got here, I was like, oh, I'm home. This is great. It speaks to the power of the next second is the second you can decide to yeah. change everything. Yeah. Because it really can be that simple. Yeah. Of course, there's going to be the things that try to pull you back. I think I heard you talk on a podcast, though, which I was surprised to hear, that you, you equated getting all your tattoos to feel tougher. Mm -hmm. And I had... One would never think that was something that you would think to do. Never heard you say that. And it just, it reminded me of a couple of my guy friends who were kind of nerdy growing up. Their words, not mine. And they said, I got full sleeves so I could feel like badass because they were trying to convince me to get a sleeve. I'm like, no, I'm cool. Like I've got yeah. plenty of tattoos. But I was surprised to hear you say that. I think it was just trying to get away from the little skinny fat kid who was super insecure. So, you know, you gain all gain eighty pounds, and I was up to like two, almost two thirty. I was two thirty one for a day. That was like, my <laughs> <laughs> and you know, like you put on that big suit of armor and you get yeah. the tattoos, and and then you can kind of create a character for yourself, like pro wrestling. You and I have uh, mutual friends and clients in pro wrestling, and like you create this character, and and sometimes I don't know if you know the term living your gimmick. Right, you could start living your gimmick, and then all of a sudden, that kind of became more of who I was naturally. Anyway, all right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to hip hop, you said hip hop was fringe at the time. Mm. Like, imagine what I'm just thinking this to myself. Imagine what what your training would be like if it was country. But like, how has hip hop influenced your training, your training program, your training style? So I went into high school in 1988, and that was the year of the Straight Outta Compton. And it takes the nation of millions to hold us back. Two of the greatest albums ever. I'm listening to that. I'm, my, my parents had just gotten divorced a week before high school starts. I went to high school in a new town where I didn't know anybody. So I'm walking with my pants sagged. I had dreads. And <laughs> what? Dude, I had dreads. I had twist tops. I had parts. I had all stuff in the where back. Where are like, these photos? Oh, I got to show you the pictures. I had a high top. Did you ever see the high top fade no. I had? Like MC Search from third base. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> I could stick a pick in it, which is so crazy. And I did. Uh, the worst is probably when I had the uh, pacifier after Boys in the Hood. <laughs> <laughs> so I was angry, though. I was such yeah. an angry kid. And then, but then I just took that anger and that intensity into like, I was like, yo, fuck, we're not doing anything that you're doing in a public gym. That was why part of my thing was rage against the machines. Now I could argue about machines and why, why they're better in some instances and whatnot, but like that was our thing. Like, we're just rebellious. We're not doing what you're doing in mainstream gyms. Rage against the machines, hip hop's playing, everything's aggressive. We're training way harder than anyone in public gyms. We're setting records. And then we're going on the field. And I created such a culture and a cult that all the athletes would support each other. Like if they didn't have a game, yeah. everyone's going to everybody else's game. Then if somebody gets drafted, we're going to their pro games. We're all wearing their gear. Like it was such a team. Yeah. And to this day, 20 something years later, a lot of those guys still support each other. Yeah. They're still team renegade. They're still like, uh, you know, us against the world. Yeah. We always had that. The funny thing is uh, there was a girl named Jen McCallum. She was the only girl that made it to train. Like I had female adults, but she was the only girl that made it to train in the group uh, with athletes. And she was nasty and like, um, she squatted like 225 and deadlifted like 275 and we would go support her and like she hit the ball so hard to play field hockey that she three times she just cracked a girl's shin in half and all the guys like all the football players were all there and we're cheering and losing our minds and everything it was crazy so you think the core element there is is grind together and that creates that unity yeah yeah, I mean, if you go to war with someone, you go to battle with someone, like, you work, you develop a different level of bond. You because know? now you go to a gym, even a gym that is structured like the ones you're describing, everybody's doing their own thing yeah. in their own world. Yeah. And even if they're showing support, the, sh the support feels so topical. There mm -hmm. isn't that, like, camaraderie there. Yeah. And working in pro sports, the teams that I see succeed when I get to be behind the scenes with my athletes are the teams that have that. Yeah. And if you have just one bad element in there, it really like has everything crumble. Yeah. So how would you, you got to have that. Like I've gone into, and I'm not going to name, but I've gone into pro weight rooms and there's been guys with headphones on and I'll go right up to the strength coach, whoever brought me in, be like, yo, how the fuck does that guy have headphones on? He should be listening like, yeah, rotate who gets to pick the music, whatever. But that guy can't be in his own head. He's got to be mixing up with everybody yeah. else, you know? Yeah. Nothing feels better than walking into a pro weight room. Like when Kendrick's album came out more recently, mm -hmm. it's blasting. Everyone's training. Everyone's in a good mood. Yeah. Everyone, it just, there's just something about that energy that you can like feel and touch that yeah. is like euphoric. Yeah. And I'm just there doing my nutrition, but right. I'm like just so happy to be oh, here and witness it all. Yeah. So how do you, how do you go? This is going to touch on the way you connect with people, which is something that I, I want to do our best to tease out and and maybe I'll learn something new about you or you'll learn something new about yourself. But how would you go into a locker room that's disjointed and create that unity? Because you are, for people who don't know this, you are someone that get, gets invited into poor sports organizations to do these types of talks and these mindset works workshops. And so you're walking into an environment where it's a lot of guys with headsets on or doing yeah. their own thing. Like what what would you do to shake it up? Yeah, I mean, ideally I'd have a lot of time so I could get to know people. I'm not just gonna be like, guys, I think it'd be better if I could see, you know, talk to somebody first, hey, what do you want here? Like, I'm close enough with Jeremy from the Twins that I could bring him up and he wouldn't mind. Um, like Jeremy would be like, hey, listen, these guys kind of have this thing and this guy thinks that about that guy and these guys don't get along with these guys and we need these guys to connect and whatever. I'm like, all right, cool, let me just, Build a gen. I'm not going to do anything, but just hang out with them. I'm going to go grab dinner with them, mm -hmm. build a relationship, and then get to know them. And then, you know, my understanding of, of human nature and human psychology, I, I kind of get shit immediately, right? And so, 
then I'll just kind of address stuff and I'll have one-on-ones and then kind of bring the guys together and then just make them see, hey, you guys have way more in common. Mm -hmm. He thought that you thought about him, but he doesn't think that, you know, and just like, uh, I, I like to do it that way before I go and have like a big kind of yeah. talk with everybody. So you're you know? spending, you're being present. You're spending yeah, one-on-one present, time. Full quality you're time. bringing yeah. honesty to the table. Like everyone's got their guns on the table. Like let's have, a, you You two are misaligned. Let's yeah. get aligned. Yeah. So you really spend that time. Yeah. I mean, you know, I just like to listen and then I'll add some feedback. I'll give some anecdotes. I'll give a personal story. Like, hey man, I totally get it. Like, you know, my, my relationship with so-and-so or my dad or whatever, however I can relate you know, just kind of bring their guard down a little bit and then uh, and then go, you know, bigger picture from there. Because again, you do that better than most other coaches. So it's what can you impart upon those coaches of like, this is what you can do better. Because it's not just programming. It's the best programming yeah. in the world. But if you don't have buy-in from your client or, or athlete, doesn't matter. Yeah. And you so seem to do that better. And I see, I see a lot of coaches in the pro world who their ego is out of this world and and they think by force they're gonna get people to have buy-in and for people to respect them yeah and it's so fascinating to me because i'm like is this not taught mm. on their way up because i i took my own path no, a lot sports. of times it's not taught for sure and so that's a missing component yeah i mean that that is a huge missing component i mean creating that culture is key and you need to bond the guys so Laughter is the universal sign of safety and connection. Eddie Murphy said, once you get someone to laugh really hard, you got them forever. So I'm going to lead with that a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Just like, again, if I just go out to dinner with some of those guys, I'm just going to be telling stupid stories, making everyone laugh, you know, joking around. We're going to play games. On a bigger level, I might get to have 10, 30, 200 players in a room, and I'll I'll be up there talking, but of course I'll be telling jokes and stories, making everybody laugh. I'll get them up and do stuff. We'll do improv games. So I think laughter is something, even if you're a serious Navy SEAL type of guy that gets overlooked, you gotta do the, the laughter thing. Like you gotta, that brings down everybody's walls, you know? Cause then, we're, okay, now we're all laughing. Now we're all uncomfortable, whatever. So you, you, you have to create that. I think before you get into the serious stuff, for me, that that's what really, really matters. And then personal stuff too like hey let's just talk we all you can meet any human being on the street and you have a cheat code like you already know they're insecure about something they're struggling with something something they have baggage uh they have anxiety whatever like they have all these things whether it's the rock anybody has this kind of stuff you know so if you share some of that stuff get them sharing some of that stuff be like oh i thought this guy was so different from me because he grew up in a totally different culture or a different country he's a different skin color or we're 10 years apart whatever it is like no we have so much in common right so just breaking down those walls and showing everybody like no we're all the same people yeah it's hard to put it into words i have an innate ability to do it at a, at a really high level i would say yeah well we talked about this the other day because i was trying to dissect it i'm yeah. like why because it yes you're present yes you're curious yes you ask questions but there are a lot of people that do those things and they're weird yeah. like, or they bring weird energy i should say or they bring energy where they want something yeah and i think what we landed on was was something about like you genuinely don't need anything and don't want anything right. from anyone other than for them to feel better after they've spoken to you yeah. And so you create that space that it's hard to deny and defenses yeah. come down. Right. And you're 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 very disarming. Mm -hmm. Even though you're tatted up, yeah. jacked, <laughs> but it's it's something that I I wish I could pair you with almost every coach I ever come across cuz even the ones that are good at it could still get better at it. Thank and you. I I'm always think about you like you. I'm always like in a locker room like 
Jay would mess this up in the best way possible. And a lot of that is not just dumb luck. Like a, a, most of that is by design. Like I know what I'm doing with my posture, my body language. Like if the leader is comfortable, everyone else gets comfortable. So small things like making myself comfortable, my posture, my uh, how long I wait to reply after someone says something. Like honestly, just small things like how often do you nod your head or do you say yes, things like that. Like I'm all hyper, uh, hyper aware and conscious of those things. And then a charismatic leader can get anyone to do anything. But there's three core elements to charisma, power, presence, and warmth. Most people have two of those or they have one of those. A lot of people that you're referring to don't have the warmth part. Right. If you don't have the warmth part, okay, then you're powerful and you have presence, but you're still not going to get full buy-in because you don't break down that wall. You don't have that warmth. Right. And then also, like, I avoid giving. That's like the brutal honesty, the Tony Soprano thing. I'm brutally fucking honest, and I don't do sandwich feedback. <laughs> you know, where I go, hey, you're so Something good at good. this, yeah. but you suck at that. No, it's a time to be brutal. Like, dude, you totally fucked that up. Right. And then, you know, a day later, so I'm like, bro, I love you, you know, yeah. this and that. Someone who wants to improve doesn't want it sandwiched. Yeah. And right. I, I've had that experience where I've had one senior vice president back in my former tech life who uh, was like a, a mentor to me, loved, I went to multiple companies with him, but he, during a, a sales meeting, was grilling me about my deal and uh, I didn't, ha I wasn't prepared. I didn't have the right answers and he's like it's not that fucking difficult it's not that difficult i'm like i know i know i'm sorry i'm sorry we'll walk out of the room two of my colleagues are like man his name's jason too he's like jason was really really tough on you like he was kind of a dick i'm like what are you talking about <laughs> i wasn't prepared yeah. the fact that you guys interpreted that way is wild right. to me like he was getting me back on my game because i want to improve yeah and anyone that has coached me or or been in that position they know like Tell her what she's good at tomorrow. That's yeah. not what she wants to hear today. Yeah. And I find really successful athletes, successful clients are the ones like, I know what I'm good at. Tell me how to improve. Exactly, yeah. I, I don't even want to hear sometimes what I'm good at. No. I mean, I, I do sometimes. Some, that, I mean, it, feel, no, it feels great. I mean, it definitely, it, it always feels great. But like if you're trying to improve something, like if I go up on stage and I'm speaking, you're there, I'm going to say, all right, just tell me what I could do better next time. Right, right. Because everyone's going to come up and be like, oh, that was so great. Right. You know what I'm like? It's like, yeah, that's great, but I want to get better right. next time. Can you teach somebody or show somebody the way to get to that mentality if they're someone who previously really needed more coddling? Like, can you take a young athlete or maybe even an older athlete, that might be harder, who wants the sandwiching or wants just what they're good at and get them to understand and flip the script of be someone who wants to get better. I can, but I don't know how to teach someone else how to do that. <laughs> Fair. That's, you're yeah. one of one. <laughs> I have that response to things sometimes. I'm like, I can, I can do it. Put me in. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So to the point of the time you spend with athletes and you, and you spend time with people in your life and you grow those relationships. So your word is respected. Part of the, the journey of this podcast for me is, I don't want to do a lot of editing outside yeah. of editing. Maybe there's something personal that like we said too much to cut that out, but also showing where I, where I falter, like something that like, am I right. supposed to draw attention to that noise? And, and then I've been asking my initial guests at the end, tell me what I could do better. Tell me what I did right. Yeah. But anyways, we'll, we'll come to that at the end. You know, I've never edited in 500 episodes. Nothing about that surprises me. Yeah. <laughs> what a great response. <laughs> um, well, that for, reminded me of, I hate everything about this right now. <laughs> yeah, it's in Idaho. That was, yeah. This is my nightmare. Um, and we'll talk about yeah. our personal stories too soon. But part of the reason why I 
I do that I'm choosing to do the editing is that I have so many incredible friends and clients who uniquely show up in a a way with me that I want them to still feel comfortable in the recording to right. get a new part of them out there, but also be like, hey, if we said too much, like you get final edit on this. Yeah. That way it's not like, do I want to say this? Don't want to say this. Anyways. So to what you were talking about, spending time with athletes, getting to know them, putting in that investment. The other thing you're good at though, and if you can dissect it, it'd be great, is you're also really great at having a quick connection with someone mm -hmm. and then leaving town. <laughs> like like at a, at a conference, uh -huh. you'll meet somebody for yeah. like a quick connection yeah. and then two weeks later, they're your best friend. Yeah. So the power of the your ability to make a quick connection and then actually build it into something closer over time. Are you, I mean, are you even aware that you do that? Like yeah, you no, can pass I, somebody in the airport and then suddenly yeah, they're your best friend? Yeah. So I, I, I say the acronym ABC, like always be curious. So I'm, I'm really curious when I meet somebody. Uh, now I forget the quote, but there's somebody who says, uh, whether a man's my superior or uh, my... Uh, inferior. I, I, yeah, inferior. <laughs> I can, yeah, I can learn from him, something yes, like that. Yes. Um, so I always want to learn from everybody. Believe it or not, every conversation I have, I consider practice. Like I think people skills are the most essential skill you could have, so I'm always working on that. And then the best gift you can give someone is just being fully present. So if I meet someone at a conference or, or in an airport, uh, I'm fully present. There's just certain things that I do in that engagement with my body language or questioning, and that's a gift, right? And then that you stand out. I don't have to say anything except ask you a few questions and be fully present, and you'll perceive me as more charismatic. That's universal, that's just me. So I'm just fully present, I ask good questions, and they can see that I'm genuinely really interested, and then I get really amped up about stuff. Right, you know? right. <laughs> <laughs> Which if someone's passionate about yeah. stuff, like you wanna be around them, right? Yeah. So even if someone tells me something that I'm not that into, if they like are like, hey, I knit quilts, I'll, I'll just, my brain will be like, my grandmother used to knit this quilt, and that's amazing, now how do you do it, what are you doing? Yeah. Or do you do multiple colors, do you have any pictures? Yeah. And then I'll be super into it, right? Yeah. And then somehow I'll get us talking about something else, I'll find some other commonality that we're both yeah. really into. You're like, always the one that the group, when we're out, will start walking and you've now like made a connection <laughs> with some random person right, on the street right. and you're having that conversation. So again, for people that, I, I was asked this question by a strength coach, the whole, how is he able to create these quick connections and build them over time? So I'm gonna ask a question that is not on brand for me, but tactical for other people. So you have that quick connection with someone afterwards, do these people reach out to you to, to build the bond or do you reach out to no, them no, or you no, just let it have it be? No, 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 It's you. It's 100% responsibility. So the ball's all, always in your court. Um, if it's a connection that I, that I want to maintain within, four, so there's a 48 hour rule, within 48 hours, uh, you you text them, you you could send them a voice note. If you were listening um, you know, intently, maybe they said, hey, I'm into this and you can send them uh, a book on Amazon or something, or send them, start sending them some songs. You know me, I'll start sending people songs oh, yeah. and everything. <laughs> so anything to show that you were really there, you're interested, but I, I'm pursuing that. I'm saying, hey, let's have coffee Tuesday at uh, Blue Bottle or whatever, you know? Right, which brings us to how we met. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by LiveCap, a carefully crafted probiotic with a primary focus on oxygen optimization, which can help improve your gut health, nutrient absorption, immune system function, and overall wellness. Many of you have probably gotten used to living in discomfort and can relate to the common factors that weaken your gut, such as stress, disrupted sleep, diet choices, 
environmental changes, and intense training. When it comes to your body's performance and recovery, what's going on in your gut is critical and historically been overlooked, which is why no matter age, gender, sport, or profession, starting with gut health is a non-negotiable in my practice when I'm building out a program for a client. Formulated by a pioneer in the gut microbiome and brought to market by a 20-year gastroenterologist, LiveCap was created for athletes, weekend warriors, and everyday health enthusiasts, which chances are if you're listening to my podcast, you fall into one of those categories. Before I was introduced to LiveCap, I would suggest staying on top of your probiotic consumption simply through fermented foods because I wasn't all that stoked on any particular products on the market. But after my first call with Dr. Davies, their founder, I was fired up in the same way I would get fired up about going into the playoffs with one of my athletes, just for some context on how much of a gut health nerd I am. I immediately began testing both of their products, Strong and Elite, with my clients, testing it with myself, with my EPC team members, and even family members over the course of several months. Across the board, everyone's feedback was positive, from my assistant having lifelong bloat being relieved, to my athletes having increased endurance, to my client having more focus in his meetings, to my sibling having reduced soreness in their legs. It sounds spread out in terms of experiences, but when you dive into the science and mechanism of LiveCap and what I touched upon about oxygen optimization, it all connects. I asked to officially partner with Dr. Davies and LiveCap to champion the product to whomever I can reach. Now, my producer begged that I not get any more sciency than I already have in this read. So to learn more about LiveCap and our partnership, visit eatplaycrush.com. There are two products, like I mentioned, one that is available to anyone and one that is only available to athletes and currently exclusively through my website. It is a higher priced probiotic by comparison to what you're probably used to seeing on the market. But once you dig into the science behind it, you will see this is definitely worth fitting into your gut health budget. Check out the show notes for a direct link to get live cap or visit eatplaycrush.com to learn more. So, which is hilarious because number one, again, I didn't know you were this big deal. You guys reached out about the podcast. I came onto the podcast. We knew each other for three minutes before we started recording. And then after we were done recording, you, me, and Jen, and whoever else would hang out with us hung out every day for 11 days. Yeah. And every day, my attire would become more and more casual because <laughs> the hangs would be last minute. Like, hey, we're going to do improv at the house. And you'd give me like 20 minute notice. And I'd be like, I'm going to come over in slippers because I don't want to change. Yeah. But as someone on the receiving end, it was such a breath and I've told you this many times such a breath of fresh air to meet people especially in LA yeah. that like see you yeah and like you light up a room when you laugh but also the way you genuinely light up when you're speaking to someone makes them feel like they're brighter mm. too like that is a gift that you have and even when you're dead sober you get high off your friends. Oh my god, yeah. totally! <laughs> it's yeah. incredible. Yeah, and yeah, like you could measure it if you started like measuring <laughs> yes, my pulse. And yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah. To me, it was so special because it was so genuine because you were so present. And then you're a connector. You want to bring everyone together, and all your friends are so different. Yeah. When you put them at a table, it's really interesting. But right. it wasn't until so I'm excited. I made a new friend. I'm stoked. I have people to do like normal things with where yeah. we're not talking about work or business. And it wasn't until Jablonski's fundraiser 
where we're out there and guys keep stopping and they're like, oh my God, Jake, can I take a photo? And I turned to Jenna, I was like, is he a big deal? <laughs> like, I had no idea. And, and I only say that to say, you don't ever act like that. No, oh, thank you. You never yeah. act like I'm the greatest of all time. You just know. <laughs> Yeah. You just know and you don't act like that. And I think part of that is also what is so special and disarming about you is that even if someone's nervous to meet you, you remove any reason for them to be nervous. Yeah, because I see it because I've been on the other side, right? Super nervous. So as soon as I see that, I can see it from a mile away. I'll go out of my way. I mean, I, I try to do it with everybody. But if I sense that there's nervousness, I'll go out of my way to really break that wall down immediately. Who were you nervous to meet? Everybody, when I was, you know, <laughs> so it wasn't just anybody. Yeah, no, anybody. You know, not like just some celebrity or something. Yeah. Like I was just so nervous to meet people. Nervous. Like if I met you, where you are in the world right now, doing what you're doing. If I was in my 20s, and I met you, I wouldn't be able to talk. You know, because I was just such a different person. Yeah. So yeah. if one of those times when you were nervous and somebody like you was coming to break the ice with you, what is an approach they could have taken to not make you even turtle even more? Because sometimes I'll, I'll notice somebody who is like that and, and by virtue of the volunteer work I've done with mm -hmm. hospice and, and bereavement and at-risk teens is I am I'm similar to you. I, I actually start with warmth Yeah. because um, that's where I came from and I have to work on asserting power, being female in sports and all the things we can dissect there. Yeah. But I've gotten better at it now, but sometimes I will I will attempt to disarm and accidentally make them even more nervous yeah so <laughs> so what is what's a way you would approach someone who you're trying to disarm from the lens of when you were someone that was like don't talk to me don't i just to go me. over the top and engaging them and asking them questions like I, i've seen really nervous people standing there and like if it's in an event you're talking to somebody like you and i are talking and then i see this guy saying i know he wants to talk to me so I'm like, bro, what's up? What's your name? I don't even wait for him to say, hi, I'm Jay. I'm, yeah. I'm Jay. I'm John. <laughs> hi, I'm John. I'll be like, yo, what's up, man? What's your name? Where are you from? What's going on? And then so I'm just asking him stuff. I'll be like, oh, I like your Jordans. Oh, where are you from? Oh, sick. You know, I'll ask yeah. him about where he's from. If yeah. he says Seattle, I'll be like, oh, I'm a huge Pearl Jam fan, whatever, you know? Yeah. like. And then all of a sudden, he's having a conversation with a normal human and he's not even meeting me because we're not talking about the shit he wants. He wanted to go like, Yo, you know in that program where you said yeah. he's gonna get nervous wreck, <laughs> we're just talking about Pearl Jam, wherever he's from, and then all of a sudden now I see, I can literally see the anxiety like leave his body, and all of a sudden we're talking about other stuff, and then you know he'll he'll ask me what he wanted to ask me, but I I can see me totally like relieving that stress and anxiety, yeah. so I I go out of my way to do that whenever I meet you people. You head on, events. it sounds like. Yeah, I go right in, right yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, not shocking. <laughs> what introduced you to improv? So you know John Hannigan. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> Do I? <laughs> what a character. So John and I were hanging out one night. He's like, I was taking stand-up classes. And then uh, John goes, hey, we, we have an improv show tomorrow night at Second City. So I go watch the show. And uh, Dolph Ziggler's brother was in it. And uh, the guy on uh, on Veep, one of the guys on Veep with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And it was awesome. And then we went out to this bar afterwards and we we're hanging out. And one of the guys who taught at Second City was there. And I go, dude, that was amazing. Like, you guys didn't plan any of that. And he's like, no, you, Numb Nuts, it's improv. I was like, I know, but it was so good. And they go, we're starting a, a semester tomorrow. And I was like, really? And he goes, here, go online. And I just signed up. And I wasn't even nervous or anything. I was like, I I'm going. And as soon as I got there, I, I just walked into the room like the king of the world. And I was like, I'm here. And they go, all right, volunteers. And I was the first person up there. 
And for some reason, for the first year, I was the best person in every class. I don't even know why. I was just, again, I was like, I'm here, I'm in it. This and is- you're quick with it too, super quick. Yeah. And you think there's a place for improv in sports? Oh yeah, for sure. Do you know any any organizations that do that with their teams or? Anytime you're bringing me in, we're doing it. <laughs> I've, I've had hundreds of pro athletes up doing it and they so, love it, they have fun. Do you have a unique uh, case, I'll call it case, but a unique athlete to talk about? You don't have to use their name, but they were like this, we did improv and then this is what the no, result I mean, of it was. It, it just goes back to what I was saying earlier, just about creating that culture and creating that bond and everybody laughing together and everybody getting out of their comfort zone. And you pull coaches into that too? Oh yeah, 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 because cause the first rule, because all right, here's, here's a few things why I do it. So. The humor thing, of course, and diffusing, you know, any nerves and anxiety, but we don't have listening classes. There's public speaking classes. So listening is the one of the ultimate superpowers. Most people are never taught how to be a good listener. The ideal sequence is somebody speaks, you let your body language and your facial expressions show that you absorbed it. You wait two seconds and then you respond and you never cut somebody off. Like, you know, millions of times in anyone's life, they've had the, uh, a situation where two people speak at the same time and you and I are talking over each other, I will never talk over anyone. Now, I know people, we have mutual friends that always do it. I will always just go silent and never talk over anyone. So there's all those things. So you got to be a good listener. It teaches uh, listening. It teaches you to make fast decisions, which is key in life. Mm -hmm. But it also teaches the first rule of improv is yes and, meaning you never negate somebody, you always agree. So if you're in in an organization like pro sports or business, whatever, if you're not yes-anding people all day long, you're negating them, uh, you're always going to be butting heads. You're never going to have close relationships. And yes-and means something simply like, uh, let's say everyone's together and you go, all right, we think we're going to um, uh, something silly, right? Like, let's say it's the Dodgers and, they go, and uh, someone goes, hey, we're going to change the Dodgers colors after all these years to pink. And instead of you going, are you a moron? What's wrong with you? You go, oh, that's interesting. Okay. Uh, that's crazy. <laughs> like, I like how you think, like totally outside the box. Where, where are we going with that? Like, you know, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month and we just want to extend that for the whole season or whatever. Like, you yes and, even though you're like, yeah, there's no way we're doing that, right? But if you immediately say no, you build this wall. Even if like, um, you know, going back to making those quick connections, somebody could say something like, hey, hey, in that example, like, oh, you're from Seattle, I'm a huge Pearl Jam fan. If he goes, Pearl Jam sucks, we're dead. That relationship's dead, right? Or if he goes, <laughs> oh, you know who's way better than Pearl Jam? Creed. Now, if I go, Creed's the worst band ever, this relationship is dead, right? I go, oh, that's awesome, Creed. You no, know, and I, somehow I'll pull out a Creed song, yeah. right? I hate Creed, but yeah. I'll, I'll go with it, right? And so, so yes, and is so important for building relationships. But in those team situations, it's huge because people negate each other all the time without even thinking about it. And also, human beings have human beings have this innate need, not even a desire, to be right. And it comes across in these small little microscopic ways all the time. And then you wonder, why don't people like being with me? Because you always have this desire to be right. Even if it's just something like, like let's say you and I are friends and we're telling a story somewhere. And I go, so the guy walked in, he's got this red shirt on, you go blue. And I was like, but you just had to be right, right? It doesn't add to the story. It doesn't make the story funnier, you know? But you had to be right. Or if I go, yo, remember that time we were at that place? I think it was 1986 and you go, it was 87. Like you're just negating people all the time. And like, and you don't know it. They don't even know. It's just subconscious. But like, I just don't feel that great when I'm with that person. So you got to be hyper aware of all the times you're negating and not yes anding people. I think that's just that's what improv teaches, and if you really embrace that, it's it dramatically changes every relationship you have. I wonder what it does to the chemistry of your brain too, and then when you're on the field or on the court, yeah, those those response skills. 
And then also being able to read your teammate in an improv situation, I think, would make you be able to read your teammate better yeah. on the court or on the field yeah, yeah. or on the pitch or whatever yeah. the sport is. It's bonding and it's a transferable skill. That's the soft skill that probably can't be directly measured. Yeah. You can tell him nerd i'm like wait this is <laughs> this is brilliant yeah when did you start getting getting into public speaking because coaching classes and groups is very different than getting on a stage it is and how did that feel the first time it felt terrible in 2007 <laughs> uh i'd be great again like i could shut down the music in my own gym be like all right guys listen up there's 20 guys in there i'll make a big general patent speech to everybody but i just never wanted to do public speaking i was a nervous wreck and so 2007, it was called The Big Seminar, and it was in Boston at C.J. Murphy's place, and it was um, Alan Cosgrove, who's one of the funniest and the best speakers in all of fitness. I was on the stage with him, uh, Dave Tate, huge name, Jim Wendler, and, and, and Murph. So it was just the four of us, and those guys are all good, and Cosgrove's the best, and I was literally the worst. So I, I just brought that false narrative to fruition, right? I said, I'm going to suck at this, and I was literally the worst public speaker in history. I was fumbling over my words. I was stuttering. I didn't remember anything. Got it out of the way. Got the worst out of the way. It was terrible. But here's the thing. I didn't speak after that for three years. Oh, wow. I go, see, I told you. I knew I'm just not good at that. Now, that was that self-limiting belief. I can only, we all have these false narratives. Like, I can only do this, or I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not that kind of person. My family only does this, right? So I said that. I can't speak. And then I started taking improv and stand-up, and I was just becoming someone else. So Bedros asked me to go to uh, Vegas and speak to 40 people there. Mm -hmm. And just on the flight there, I said, I'm going to be unbelievable. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know how. I just knew I was going to be great. And I was great. And we went out. That was how he and I started becoming friendlier. Uh, we hung out at the bar that night. He's like, dude, you're an entertainer. This is what you should do. It's amazing. And then I just spoke at any ever, any opportunity I could get. And I felt like I got better every time. And you get up in front of thousands of people now. You know, I'm not nervous at all. No, no, at no. All. And that's the, the Idaho story. Like, I, yeah. I hate everything about this. But what I remember about that that event particularly is, one, you crushed it on stage. And then, two, you were so excited and proud for me. Yeah. Like, tears in your eyes. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm 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 actually not used to having that kind of support. Yeah. It throws me off a little bit. I'm like, this is, is this a trick? Right. Because I remember I'm getting nervous on stage because I hadn't spoken in a while. I, I would do thousands of people in tech and it's- a, I was way more nervous when you were going up because I knew you were nervous. I was like pacing around. But I saw you. Like yeah. I saw you in the corner and I was storytelling because storytelling is, is where I thrive. Yeah. But it's seeing you do that is always incredible for me because I'm seeing you in your power in a different way because I, I get to experience you one-on-one, -on -one, which yeah. like- schmuck around like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're hilarious in, in my opinion yeah. switching gears to the actual training modalities and tactical training what makes you and your training programming so elite so consistent and stands the test of time because there's noise on social media yeah. like nobody's business and a lot of the people who are posting are an n of one this is what i've done for right, my body right, right, and right. i'm like yeah. cool beans <laughs> i feel like that's the majority of people it is i i get really frustrated when when it comes to nutrition i'll have a researcher debating an influencer n of one yeah. and they want to debate me 12 yeah. years of experience in the field hundreds of clients across experience is, every is what matters to me but it's it's i know what makes my programming different and stand the test of time what makes your programming so different and stand the test of time so I, I would say first and foremost, just 30 years of experience, right? And and however many years before that, I mean, I started training when I was 12. Uh, me having the absolute worst genetics for everything is better in 
a myriad of ways because like I know so many really well-known coaches they'll post their high school picture and they're like the size of like the rock or something mm-hmm. you know they have humongous neck and joints like if I put a bracelet on and my wife puts it on it's uh, a hula hoop on my wrist and it's tight on Jen's <laughs> like so I just have tiny joints I get injured more than Allen Iverson and Grant Hill combined uh, I used to get sick if the wind would blow the wrong way like I have all these things yeah um, and growing up, we were we were always super sick, and I, I was fat. I was fat as a whale as a kid, and then I was skinny fat, always injured, couldn't gain muscle for the life of me. So I had I had the worst. So I had to really dig deep and try. And I think like what a lot of people today don't do is I immerse myself in all the stuff from the 1900s before there was research and influencers and studies. And what were they doing that actually worked? Because the human body hasn't really changed so much from 1906. So what was George Hackenschmidt and Arthur Saxon doing and, and Steve Reeves and all those guys? And like, I'm an Iron Game historian. Like, I can tell you what those guys had for breakfast, where they grew up. You know, like most people can't do that. So I learned from all those guys. I learned from everybody. I learned from bodybuilders, the old school strength legends. I was immersed in powerlifting for years. I know everybody in the history of the business. So I've interned, I've worked with everybody. So my influences are so vast and varied. Mm-hmm. And I've basically done like a Bruce Lee where it's, you know, reject what's, uh, take what's useful, reject what's not, right. and combine my own system. And so for so many years, it was just training athletes. So I said, okay, here's some of the powerlifting stuff that applies. Here's some that doesn't. Here's some of the bodybuilding stuff that applies. Here's what doesn't. Um, functional is just a weird bastardized term that I was early on and mm-hmm. influenced a lot of people. Like to this day, it's people are like, oh, thanks for paving the way for functional training. But I'm like, I don't even know what that means anymore. But yeah, so I just learned from, so I just had so many good, you know, teachers and influence. And then really it just comes down to experience again. I mean, it's hard to be 30 years of experience and with right. all those people. So now we have either N of one people or we have people who just read the latest PubMed study. Right. But it's like, yeah, I don't care what the latest PubMed study is. Tell me what you've been doing for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years with a lot of people. With a lot of people. That's what I want to hear. I really never care. If a study says something, I'm like, okay, that proves what we did and why we did it. We didn't know why it worked. Now we know why it works. Right. Study doesn't prove anything. It could maybe validate why what we've been doing for years works. But no one good that's in the trenches is going to be like, oh my God, a study showed this. We're going to change what we did for the last 15 years. Right, right, you know? right. And then I just understand like... I understand overtraining at a really high level, and I understand overtraining. I'm a glad problem. you're bringing that up because it was my question. Yeah, so I think you got to ask, uh, what is the biological cost of your training, which a lot of people don't do. Meaning, is it producing an inordinate amount of cortisol and adrenaline? Is it causing excess wear and tear on your joints? Uh, causing more central and peripheral fatigue? Like a lot of people start training. You'll have a guy, just a, an average stockbroker, starts training, and he's like. Dude, I was not injured and I had more energy. Now I'm injured and I'm hurt all the time. It's like, yeah, because the way you're training, right. that kind of training is not good for you. I'm really cognizant cognizant of that. Like, what is the what is the biological cost of it? And I and I and I think in terms of longevity now, right? You know, I'm 49, so it's easier to say that. But I've been doing that since I was probably mid 30s, thinking like, what? How do we do this forever? Like, nothing about your programming is fancy in the way that it goes viral right, right? but the results yeah. are loud the yeah. lack of injuries is yeah. loud and i just i don't know how we make that sexy again but yeah. it's the it's the point i want to make is that it is practical application in the field 30 years yeah. you are the age that you are now you're still very healthy and how do we get that message out there? Like I'm waiting for you to do women's groups. I know you mm. focus mostly on yeah. on men, but it, I know you train a lot of female yeah. athletes. Our mutual friend, it's a wrestler. Like her 
body transforms and she's less injury prone when she's working with you. Yeah. How do you get somebody to walk away from the flashy stuff on social media? You're fighting an uphill battle because everything on social media is, you know, like a Rocky Four training montage. You gotta <laughs> leave each workout like in a pool of sweat and just be dead and your heart rate's 200. Um, you really just have to experience it. Like you just have to be open-minded enough to be like, hey, let's do this. Let's do minimum effective dose. Mm -hmm. Let's see how you feel. And then really the proof is in the pudding. Because once you start doing that, once you buy in, and that's you know that's on me to get you to buy in, you're all of a sudden, your joints hurt less, you're stronger, you're building muscle, your sex drive goes up, you, you're, you don't have that crazy lingering uh, uh, peripheral fatigue and central fatigue all the time. Um, but it's just like, it's hard. It's hard for people to be like, no, it's got to be way more complex than they that. They feel like they need to be sore. Right. Like, yeah, I got to be sore. Whereas all those things are detrimental. Like too, excess soreness is going to slow down muscle growth and recovery. You know, so like you'd made a comment about how you are you're pissed or disappointed if your client is sore. Yeah, yeah. I I don't want soreness. That's not it's not a gauge or a sign of anything positive. Right. So and then if you want to get into science, like we have reputable, reliable science now that resting two to three minutes between sets is exponentially better than resting one minute or less. We have science that shows that six to eight reps causes less central fatigue than doing sets of twelve to fifteen to twenty, you know? Um, and then we have, we have pretty good, I can get into the weeds there when it comes to like volume, what, what actually is volume. And that, that's like a whole nother thing. That yeah. We're... I have a question of how you approach it. Cause we were talking about this when I was on, on your show, hydration was the example. And the way I approach hydration for an everyday person is different than how I approach hydration for a pro athlete. Yeah. Same thing with, with sugar. So when it comes to load and fatigue and types of training and soreness, are you prescribing and and also understanding different outcomes between somebody like me who's not playing a sport and somebody who's playing every day or two or three times a week? Because soreness is going to be a part of their life. Yeah. Almost regardless. Well, I mean, if you're in season, you're going to be doing even less. But even the off season, I would say, well, let's start with the the least amount. What's the minimum effective dose? And then, so you know, sometimes I'll get pushback on that, but then I'll get a, I don't know if I show you the text I got the other day, but I'll get a text or a message be like, oh yeah, dude, I feel exponentially better, like yeah. light years better. I use, I'll sometimes use the Aura Ring to validate that because my yeah. lane is nutrition still, yeah. but I also am trying to collect data from all the different categories going on with an athlete. And there was one athlete where they were doing double conditioning and weight training six or seven days a week. Oh and because that particular trainer, the outs, not the organization, that the organization was doing outside trainers, was really like focused on like the aggression, the aggressive training and yeah. the aesthetics. And I'm with my athlete 24 seven because it's breakfast, lunch, dinner, traveling, all of this. And there was an injury. And so the injury caused the um, training to get reduced to one conditioning a day and then weight training came down and I was showing them how on the days where it wasn't a double conditioning day, the recovery metrics and the yeah. sleep metrics were yep. better. And that, yep. those are the metrics we want. Exactly. And I had said he's overtraining and mm. I get the whole stay in your lane, yeah. which I'm like, I get, but like, will you just, will you yes and me for a second? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But when I was able to show them the metrics, they're like, okay, we should probably adjust this because yeah. they're going for that, that hard in the paint type of training, which yeah. I'm like, I, I, no, if you want him to perform as the star player, keep that in mind. But again, yeah. people don't think like this. No, almost universally, if you lower training volume over the course of a week, performance improves. And some people can grasp that when they're talking about strength training, but they're like, 
Yeah, but not with conditioning. If I do more conditioning, my conditioning will improve. Your conditioning actually gets worse if you do if you exceed your threshold. You do too much conditioning. There's a great book. I'm pretty sure it's called Play On, and the guys just got studies and stories about countless teams and athletes. Basically, that's the whole book. It's it's like about overtraining. What happens on the the British soccer team and this rowing team and all these different teams when they cut their training volume down? Injuries go way down. Performance goes way up. Mm-hmm. Universally, every time. I mean, there's there's obviously you can do too little volume, right? But you just got to get to that minimum threshold, and right. then there's not really not a need to do. Now, sometimes there's doing stupid stuff, which I would give a thumbs up to because it creates competition and camaraderie. Okay, as long as it's not going to get us injured or cause too much, you know, CNS or peripheral central fatigue or something like that, then I think it's a good idea. Meaning, if we finish a workout and go, hey, let's challenge, let's have a challenge with the whole team. How many? You know, like a farmer's walk challenge yeah. or a, a sled push challenge or a push-up challenge. Okay, we're, we're recovered. We're far enough away out from competition. I think those things are really good because there's a mental toughness right. component that you have to have. And you just have to have that that kind of team-building camaraderie, right? Right. So, like, if you and I always train together and we're super competitive, if we never did any of those challenges, it wouldn't be as fun as if right. once in a while we do that and we're just fucking going crazy, you right. know? Right, right. So... If somebody doesn't have a trainer and say they they get your program and they're doing it on their own, what are indicators for someone who's novice to realize they've hit their minimum effective dose? I mean, if you're getting stronger workout to workout, that's always a great sign. And you know, it doesn't really take a lot to do that. You may need, depending on you know what kind of responder you are, you may need slightly like you can get strong on really low volume to build muscle. You may need slightly more. But you wouldn't really know for, you know, probably you got to give it a good six to 12 weeks and to make sure you're eating enough, you're sleeping enough, you know. If you're eating and sleeping enough, you can get by in really low volume. You would only, after 12 weeks, if you're not getting somewhere, then we would say, all right, let's ramp up the volume a little bit. But, so if they're sore, it's too much. And yeah, if they're not sore, really they're just sore. looking for the strength to, to be increasing as somebody. Because people, if they don't see results, they get discouraged. Yeah. Like for for. Um, nutrition programming I have calendars for my clients Mm -hmm. and they have to document not just what they're eating but their mood their sleep their uh, stress level for the day and each day is color coded yeah and you've got good days bad days terrible days and I do this also for like a mindset state where if they weren't tracking that they'd have two bad days and be like this isn't working I want to quit and I go well look at the calendar look at how many like days, good days you had in a row for the first time in months. Right. And so like, wait, no, this is working. I just had a bad day. So people get discouraged easily if they don't start to see those things. So like giving them that audible of, okay, if you're sore, correct me, if you're sore, you've gone a little too far. But if you're maintaining low soreness, but incrementally feeling stronger, then you're on the right track essentially is what you would tell someone. Yeah. And then I'm just a huge proponent of doing, um, just avoiding junk volume. So junk volume is kind of like an industry insider term. You, have you heard it? Mm-hmm. It just means like most of your sets should be in a 6 to 10 or 6 to 12 rep range. Pretty friggin' heavy. Pretty close to failure with good form. With good exercises. Like for me, that's huge. So, you know, if you're just in like an old school meathead weight room or something, it's like everybody's going to barbell squat. Everybody's going to barbell bench. Where I'm like, not everyone's anatomy is designed for that. You know, your femur length may not 
do well with barbell squats and mine might, you know, like it's like, so I'm always going to pay attention to that. How do these things align with gravity? How are your joints stacking? Like to me, yeah. that's really important. I've seen you like adjust yeah. just like even a millimeter yeah. on somebody and then not do that to somebody else yeah. based on their, the way that they're, they're made up. And then and sometimes for, I do that, they're like, oh my God, what, what voodoo was this? I yeah. never felt anything like that right? before. Right, right. Yeah. And I've seen, I mean, I've been witness to it. And then for conditioning, you don't really do that much conditioning personally. You walk forever. Yeah, I mean, no, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do low intensity conditioning, um, and I do like to do sprints. But yeah, I, I think for longevity, de- definitely you should be doing. I mean, and then of course, you know, an athlete—that's a different story. Completely different. When did you start to pay more attention to nutrition with with your work? Because we all, at some point, did not know what we were doing. No. Like I thought I was so smart yeah. with my like whole wheat toast, my soy milk protein yeah, shakes, yeah. my muscle milk. Like I thought I was doing my yeah. best and then I realized this is terrible. Yeah. So when did you start to be like, okay, I'm gonna see, I'm seeing the light now. I mean, I was eating, oh my God, you'd be sick. I, when, I, when I was getting up to 2.30, I would have five egg McMuffins. Mm-hmm. I would stop at McDonald's, I'd get five egg McMuffins and I would probably get chocolate milk with that and orange juice. And I would, ha- I would also have a 12 egg omelet later that day. And I would have a whole pizza every day, and I was eating a lot of sushi, and I was drinking sixty-four ounces of Gatorade. Like it was insane. I think it was when I when I was here. I was living here, and I was turning forty, and I was like, "You I were ne- doing that through your thirties? Yeah. Well, well no, because <laughs> when, when you, I was not that size when we first met. I was I was bigger than I am now, but um, no, I got here and I was definitely cleaned up. But I okay. don't remember because like I ate like that. Like, in high school, like I, w- I would finish yeah. the tennis match. Yeah. I would go to In-N-Out Burger, get two double-doubles animal style, one double-double regular animal style fries, a shake, drive to McDonald's, oh get a McChicken, a filet of fish, Ugh. a McFlurry, then drive to Togo's, get a tuna sandwich, a salad, and their cookies, and then go sit and do homework and eat all of that. What? It was disgusting. Oh, my God. Because I, I would play six to eight hours a day. Yeah. And that... I was just starving after the matches, but I started to clean it up and go more into like the the protein shakes in my twenties. But I still wasn't doing anything right. And then I guess I guess I changed up at twenty five, twenty six because I got my diagnosis. Mm. So I had a reason to to investigate it more. But if you're telling me you're eating a pizza a day into your thirties, I'm like, what? Oh yeah, for sure, (laughs) for sure. Until yeah, like mid. I mean, once I moved here. I was eating way healthier and way better. And then when I, when I wanted to get really lean for the first time, obviously just, you know, food selection was more important. And then and then that was the first time I really got concerned about macros. I was always concerned if I hit my my protein and then I would just have 1,000 grams of carbs and 1,000 right. grams of fat on top of it, you know? <laughs> and then when did you start to prioritize your sleep? I don't know why, but I always remember it started at 22 and it went till I was like 40-something. My sleep was awful for like 20 years. So probably maybe maybe early forties, and my and and knock on wood, my sleep's been way better. Like it's it's really good now. Which Naturally, is or do anything for it. I mean, I I do things like proactively all day, like getting outside with no sunglasses and no shirt on early, mm-hmm. going for a walk. I mean, I did intermittent intermittent fasting for a while, and that ruined my sleep. So I stopped that. I eat way earlier, um, train way earlier. Like that's I, before when I saw you, I said I didn't sleep last night. I trained at seven p.m. Usually I train by one or two or I can't sleep. Okay. So I do all these things proactively. Just think my nutrition's better. I stop eating three hours before bed, which is huge for sleep for me. Uh, what else do I do? I take C- uh, I take CBD. I take magnesium. Um, so, so I'm proactively doing a bunch of stuff. And yeah, so I sleep. Because usually as people get older, they sleep. Their Less. sleep's awful. It yeah. gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Mine's gotten better. Yeah. 
Yours has also gotten better since you've gotten back to California, which, by the way, when are you moving back to California? It's all all (laughs) happening. It's all in the works. All the things that make you who you are and you get invited on podcasts and you get invited on podcasts to talk usually about training or hip hop (laughs) and you bring up improv. Is there anything about you, Jay, that you wish somebody would ask you on a podcast? The topic that you're like, oh, it's not something I would ever lead with on a podcast, but I wish somebody would ask me about it. What that I could think of? I don't know. Because you do a lot of solo episodes yeah. that I would try to catch up on. Not really. I mean, on the solo episodes, I put I put anything and everything out there. That's always why, you know, before when you were like, we'll edit. I was like, no, nah, I'm fine. I'm an open book. I say whatever. I think, you know, to your point earlier, I think probably still there's the misconception people don't know that I'll ride around and sing Call Me Maybe and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. And, and maybe be as silly <laughs> as I am and do some of those wacky dances and whatnot. Oh yeah, you you go on another planet sometimes, <laughs> and sometimes it's we'll have a couple of drinks, and you're like that. And sometimes it'll just be out of nowhere, yeah. just out of nowhere, and it's hilarious to witness. Like the videos I have of you doing the worm, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just yeah. out of nowhere. Everyone in the room is like socializing, and there's Jay <laughs> just somehow scooting across the floor for no reason. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you said I just get so high when I'm with my friends you, you know, do I get high on my friends and I just want to have fun and be silly and entertain them and make everyone laugh yeah and have the, a good time. your energy from the first day because I saw you the first day you got guys got back on mm-hmm. this trip and you were happy to be back but then yeah. when I saw you guys a couple nights ago like I texted you like yeah nothing makes me happier than seeing you that happy yeah which I love that yeah That's amazing. It's, it makes me yeah. super stoked so and maybe I will cut this out between Jablonski, Luca, and myself. Uh-huh. Who's your favorite friend and why? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you. We're so different. But that's that's the group of guys that, that I got, that you introduced me to. Yeah. And I love being around them and they're yeah. so dynamic and I'm excited for a reunion with with everybody. Well, that that's what, one thing that makes me super happy, right? It's like, yes, there are a bunch of people that I bring together that are so different and they'll never be friends o- outside of when I'm there, right? And that's totally fine too. So true. I was in in um, where was I with with Luca on no, that? No, 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 no. That's not who I'm referring to. Oh, oh, the well, other ones. <laughs> there's other friends that will never connect if right. I'm not there, right. and that's okay. Right. But what makes me the happiest is if you and Luca are somewhere together and I'm not there. I'm like, that's amazing. Yeah. Or if you and Jay or Jay and Luca or Luca and Desani or whoever it might be. Yeah. That I'm not there as the conduit, but now you guys are are friends. That's amazing. Yeah. Like, and we're I, just talking about you the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> But it's so cool because you're a gift, Luca's a gift, so I've given both of you guys that gift of your friendship, you know? Yeah. It's so awesome. We got to get Luca to, to kick back on the caffeine. I'm getting worried <laughs> as he gets older with his caffeine consumption yeah, staying outside, is it? So what's next for you? You're coming back to California. Mm-hmm. You've got new programs coming out. Mm-hmm. You, I really want you to be in every organization. All right. Fixing mindsets, 100%. Oh. I'm there for it. And I I selfishly want a woman's program to come out. I have been thinking about it. So that that uh, conversation we had was good. It was good. I've been thinking about it for sure. It's weird because so many of my adult clients when I was young, like I was a teenager in my 20s, were just females, like moms and whatnot back then. And then it kind of just transitioned to athletes and it was less and less and less, especially online. But now I'm a completely different person and I can connect with females in a way that's just so much different. Mm-hmm. 
like it used to just be either their clients or I was trying to hook up with them and that was all I had, right? <laughs> you know, that was it. Uh, and now I could have genuine close relationships. I can motivate them. I could talk to them differently. So I think it would be really fun now. I mean, I mean, I know it is from the, the experience that I have. So I think I could do it on a bigger level. I just love connecting with people. So anytime you put me in a room, like, and I'm just th- like, I'm just going to connect with people. I'm going to try to make everyone better. I think any human being, if you enter a room, you should change the energy. You should warm it up. If you don't, if people aren't popping up, if they're not excited to see you, then right. you probably have some kind of work to do. Um, I always want to, you know, bring that energy. And and I don't take, I don't leave anything to chance, right? So like, if I'm going, not just if I'm going to a big organization, like not if I'm heading to the Rams stadium right now, if I'm heading to coffee with two people or I'm heading to a small party with 10 people, I'm intentional about it. So I'm visualizing on the way there. You know, we visualize with sports, but the only way you're going to get better and the only way you're going to be that person and bring that kind of energy is if you really prioritize it and make it important. So yeah. and people don't think that. They'll hear someone who's good and they'll hear you praise me for being good at that, but like, yeah, I can't do that. Or he's just innately good at that. You have to work on it like anything yeah. else. So you have to prioritize it. So I'll be visualizing, okay, how do I want to show up? What's my body language going to be like? What's my energy going to be like? Who's going to be there? What do I want to ask them? And if you're not good at this, you could even, I've done this, write a bunch of shit in the notes in your phone. And if you draw a blank, just go to the bathroom. Be like, oh, yeah, okay, let me ask them this and that and the <laughs> I love other thing. That. Let me tell some of these funny stories, yeah. you know, whatever it might be. But, like, be intentional. Be prepared. Yeah. And don't just go there. Like, you may have had the worst day, but you show up. Like, bring the light. Bring the energy. I, I want people to leave better. Even if I had a bad day, I'm going to go and try to make people feel better. And that's service too, right? You know, like Dr. King said, anyone can be great because anyone can serve. But like, it doesn't mean I have to go to a soup kitchen. I could just go to dinner with four friends and know, like I said before, they got something they're stressed or anxious about or insecure about. So I could be the light. I could ask questions. I could tell jokes. And like, anyone can do that. It's just, I think we just have this false narrative that either you're like that or you're not. Yeah. But what are you visualizing for yourself next? Because you've built such a great entity empire that you could coast but I also know you, coasting's not enough for you. Yeah. So it's like applying those questions, like what do you visualize for yourself next? Yeah, I, I just, I you know, the, the last few years uh, I, I've addressed that have been a, a little rough for me and, and I lost my confidence for a little bit. So now I'm just, you know, full uh, 100 miles an hour ready to go, like pushing myself. So yeah, we're, we're going to grow the online stuff. I want to get back to speaking as much as I used to get back in organizations like we were talking about the other night, you know, just, just pushing to that next level. And I'm kind of just, that's part of being out here and being around friends like you is kind of just like bringing clarity to that. What does it look like? But I feel great about what's, what's potentially happening here. So if you think back on the conversation we just had, what's, and if somebody was taking notes right now and learning from you, what's a a journal prompt you would give them? A journal prompt? Yeah. If they're like taking notes, all Mm -hmm. these things, but you're like, I want, from what you heard today, listener, mm-hmm. I want you to think about this in particular and and expand on that. Because you gave so many tidbits and they all seem like training, mindset, improv, but they're related in some way. Hmm. Wow. It's a tough one to put me on the spot. I mean, the, the thing that comes to mind is like, there's a Native American saying about keep death close. And so like, you're always, like this conversation I'm basically, we all have the opportunity to write our eulogy, right? So anytime I spend with you, whether it's formal like this, or we're just being silly and get burgers, I'm picking out my closest friends and what they're going to say to me. 
what's my legacy going to be? Like, how awesome, you know, we envision like, oh, what's my funeral going to be? Like, I wish I could be a little voyeur on it watching. Like, well, we get to dictate that. We get to dictate who's going to be there, how many people, what's the vibe going to be like? Is it going to be sad? Is it going to be happy? What are the stories we're going to tell? So I think every interaction is that. Like, I have this weird ego in a way that if I go in to the Rams or the Raiders locker room, no one's ever going to forget me. Mm-hmm. But I also do it, like, you know, like, with humility and stuff. Like, I, I, I don't know. I find that that I'm able to have that balance. Mm-hmm. But I know, like, I want to impact everyone here, and I want everyone here to be at my funeral, which is kind of exhausting to do. <laughs> <laughs> so you're giving somebody a lot to think about right now. <laughs> it is kind of exhausting. But I also think, like, well, a lot of other people aren't going to want to do that, right? To be on, to be on. Well, all like, the time. reframe it. I think it's it's exhausting, but it's an honor and a responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I was just, you know. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But yeah, but I mean, you know, in in simple terms, you are writing your own eulogy all the time. And I do think about that a lot. Like, I don't know if it's it's being older or whatnot, but like you get to control that. Yeah, it's like writing your own rules essentially for how you're going to live. Which I think all people should do as well. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big I, I I take it from NCIS Gibbs. If anybody watched mm. NCIS, the character Gibbs, he's got rules to life. Like yeah, I and think I, everyone should and do I that. love that so much. I think you should have rules. I think you should have non-negotiables. Yes, a few things that you live by. Yes, no expectations, but no exceptions is one of the things I live by. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. You know what I I, uh, I heard someone say once that I love is, you know, you always hear like, oh, design your life and your work around the things you love. But like, you know me, I love everything, right? So that <laughs> list is way too long. But if you go, what do you hate not doing? Mm-hmm. That list becomes like five to seven things. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, I hate not training. I feel terrible on those. I hate not eating clean. I hate not listening to music. I hate not spending close time with friends and laughing. Mm-hmm. And like one or two other things. Mm-hmm. And, and then you have that checklist where you're like, oh. I just do those five to seven things and I'm happy yeah. and I feel fulfilled and I'm successful. That, like, that's how I define yeah, success. Yeah, that's right? the writing prompt. Yeah. I think that's an exceptional writing yeah, prompt yeah, for yeah. people to take yeah. to take away. Yeah. Okay. So is there anything we didn't cover that you think we should cover or anything that we talked about the other day that maybe I, I like slipped up on? No, I don't know. I think that's probably it. All right. Well, then as, as somebody who's sitting across from a newbie, I want the, I want the feedback. What can I do better? And what did I do right? It's hard to say because it's just like we're having a conversation. Like I'm not like weird. But you've been on bad ones before. No, I mean. You've never been on a oh, bad? Oh, of course I've been on terrible okay. ones where I have to start asking the questions. <laughs> <laughs> I go, yeah, no, no, no. So what you're trying to say is this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or the guy just tell us a really long-winded story like, oh, God, <laughs> it goes nowhere. Because I have imposter syndrome with this. The Before I recorded my first one, I was super nervous i was like holy crap why am i choosing to do the first one with lupita like and and i was like kind of like shaky as i was doing my makeup and then and then i had this moment where i was like you know what mary what if the imposter is the person that keeps doing what she's doing because she's good at it Mm -hmm. and what you're supposed to be doing is this and then I, I even said out loud, I'm like, okay, I'm a podcaster. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna do. I'm an interviewer. But even still having that feeling, I always want to make somebody feel comfortable. I want to make sure that they got something out of it. I want to make sure I don't sound like an idiot myself when I'm doing it. Because I think especially for me, most of my guests, especially in, in the first handful of episodes, are clients and friends that their clients 
and friends who were friends first. Like yeah. I, I know I know them personally right. and forget their greatness. Yeah. And so like a lot of the names you mentioned early fitness, I don't know who those people are. Sure, and I don't yeah. know if that makes me like a well, crappy no, person for knowing those no, things. No, no, no. 99% of the fitness industry okay. would know them. I just have that encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge of that kind of stuff. So it's making, um, it's for me, it's making sure if there's anything I can do better to, to be legit in this process and become better through episode to episode. It's a hard question to answer because it's me and you. We're so comfortable together and we're close friends. So I like, think that answers it though. I'd ha But I'd have to see you with someone that you don't really know well and be like, oh, maybe you could have done that better because I feel like it's too easy. You know? No, then I think that then I think I I will just give myself a star and say okay. I did a good job because if you if you feel like it's just us being comfortable, which is amazing, yeah. this is how I've been with right. everyone, which has been great. I challenged someone the other day when they said they had imposter syndrome. I go, what's that? And they defined it. I go, it's fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> imposter syndrome is really an interesting one because I've never been qualified day one for anything that I've accomplished. Yeah, but according to who though? according to the the paper that they want you to sign up for, right? Right, right. not according to, like I'm, I can figure almost anything out. Yeah. But when I feel like I'm an imposter, I also think about, well, I was a high school dropout, I went to tech, got the job, crushed it, got myself into performance sports. Yes, you're ultra qualified it. and a superstar. I don't, that's why I don't get imposters, I don't like that term. So then when I go into, the, cause it's a different category, I think, I think it's because I think we live in a world where everyone is trying to give you a label. And then when you start to accept a label that's been put on you and yeah. you just try to naturally deviate and grow, you're like, wait, I'm not that label anymore. Yeah. I forget who said it, but it was like, don't live free of labels. Don't let anyone box you in. Just keep growing. Oh, no, no, no. It was don't ever label yourself. Keep doing what you're doing and growing and let right. other people put you in the category that works for them, but just know you'll be in a bunch of different categories. Yeah. So that's what I try to lean into when I feel, and I I have doubts about a lot of things I walk into a big, in the beginning, like when I walk, even when I just walk into a room, like do I, do I even belong in this room? Yeah. And it's like in an out burger. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's But you still do part. it, that's the difference. Yeah. Some people just let it cripple them and they don't do it. Yeah, I'm yeah. fascinated by that, but anyways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, well. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yes. Tell everyone where they can find you. <laughs> <laughs> you can go to j.fit. I am Jay Ferrugi on Instagram and renegaderadiopodcast.com. And that is it on today's episode. Thanks so much for hanging out. Your time and attention never goes unappreciated. If anything in today's show stood out to you, I encourage you to share it to social and tag me. That is how you can help a little independent show like mine grow. And of course, rate, review, and subscribe to Eat, Play, Crush wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you want to follow me, I'm at Paleo Chef on social media or the show at Eat, Play, Crush. You want to stay in touch via my newsletter or get your hands on the gut reset, visit eatplaycrush.com. And until next time, be well, do good, and trust your gut. <laughs>